0: Deeply, deeply spiritual song. Hello, how are you? Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Uh, my name is Ray, and I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm on staff, and um, Easter is a good day. It's been a good day for 2010 years or thereabouts, uh, and uh, the the forecast is is that it will continue to be a good day. Uh, while the um, while the guys at the soundboard are busy getting up the um, uh, garage band to uh, put us up on the audio archive. I have uh, greetings for you and I have a letter from Adam Russell, who is our senior pastor. Uh, where's Adam? Oh, here on on Easter Sunday. Why isn't the head guy here? Yeah, because he's down in South America. He's in Chile. And uh, what the heck kind of church is this that you send your, your best dog down? somewhere else on Easter but uh, I talked to Adam on the phone this morning and he said uh, please give his greetings he also said things are going like fantastically well he's ministering uh, to a group of 20 something uh, Chileans uh, from the there's like 15 vineyard churches in the country of Chile one of which was from Concepcion the whole building got destroyed but there was no loss of life among the vineyard family praise God Um, but he's in Santiago. He and Heather left last Tuesday. They're coming back this Tuesday, and he said that it's been off the the charts as far as uh, ministry, but he also sent a letter. So here we go. Uh, Hey, church family, greetings from Santiago. I'd like to begin by saying that Heather and I have discovered a vibrant and healthy community of Vineyard brothers and sisters in Chile, and the move of God has really taken root. The Chilean people have received us with tremendous honor I have never felt so preferred or cared for in my entire life. It's actually been a bit overwhelming. In my ministry schedule, we've been taxied all over Santiago. Oh, Sorry, in between my ministry schedule, we've been taxied all over Santiago, which is a sprawling heap of humanity cradled by the Andes Mountains. The city is a tango inside the Macarena. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like he's trying to imitate Luke Beeling, if you ask me. Uh, perfect, perfect blend of tradition and maternity uh, and uh, we've been given first class front row seats for the whole show. Uh, as opposed to other South American countries that I've been fortunate enough to minister in and will remain unnamed, Chile has amazing food. So that's a slam against other places he's been. Uh, I've been, I've, get a load of this, this sounds totally like Adam. I've been smacking every sort of animal that can be netted out of the ocean at least the ones that don't have shells as many as you know Heather and I are foodies and wine snobs and the meals here have been so good that I felt guilty thinking shouldn't I be suffering for Jesus at least at (laughs) mealtime thankfully the answer is an emphatic no and it looks like we'll be returning to the United States even bigger wine snobs than when we left Uh, On the note of ministry, it's been positively mind-boggling. The conference that I came to preach is attended by these youth from all over Chile, including the areas that were completely devastated by the earthquake several weeks ago. Uh, Everyone was full of hunger and totally ready. Uh, I have felt as though I've been running, trying to catch up with the Holy Spirit during each session, as Heather and I have been used powerfully. Last night, we totally blew the joint up, It was started in large part because of Heather's prophetic gift which laid the secrets of men's hearts bare and the vineyards in Chile were on the brink of revival and I'm really excited to know that we have a small part in that process. Uh, As much fun as Heather and I are having, we really do miss you guys, our church family, and it's really weird not being around on Sunday morning, but we'll see you soon. Peace, Adam. P.S., pray for us on our return trip. I don't travel well and the 10 and a half hour plane ride is a real grinder. Um, I told them I was going to pray for upgrades, okay? What do you think? If 200 people pray for, you know, one of those, you know, Mr. Russell, we have standby people, would you mind moving up the business class? Lord, hear our prayer. Um, I'm convinced that people don't make Jesus, uh, oh, this is funny. I'm convinced that people who don't make Jesus as Lord in their life get stuck on a plane from Dallas to Santiago and are never able to get off. (laughs) Also, it's Easter and the resurrected Jesus is at work. His blood has provided mercy and resurrection has provided the power. Even this morning, the resurrected Lord is meeting us and it's his intention to spread the benefits of his death, burial, and resurrections to everyone, everyone who would call him Lord. So there's a word from our pastor. Uh, and if you don't mind, continue to pray for them, they'll be back on Tuesday. Upgrade, upgrade yeah, pray for the upgrade. Okay, uh, how are we doing with GarageBand? Good, I'd like to say God bless America. Um, yeah, just in case the feds are listening, you know, it's on, the, it's on the audio archive.
1: Yeah, what can I say?
0: What can I say? Um, okay, well, listen, I'm, um, I am really excited. Easter Sunday is something that is extra, extra special. And uh, I hope that, you know, the meal that you put into the uh, oven, you know, to get ready for, you know, the, the big Easter thing uh, will keep for a while. Because I do think it's good and it's right to come to the scriptures and to take our time today. Is that All right. Do I do I have your permission? You know, Final Four isn't until tomorrow night. Go Butler. Sorry, Andrea. And I was it was my bad on the announcement about your last name. Sorry, Michael. Um, but um, uh, Final Four is not till tomorrow night. We uh, we should do just fine. If you brought a Bible today, though, we're going to look at one of the four different accounts of the resurrection. We're going to look at John chapter twenty. So let's find our way in the New Testament to John chapter twenty. And John's gospel is uh, unique in at least this one respect is that it appears to me as though it's like, you know, there's one ending in chapter 20 and another ending in chapter 21. We know that this was the last of the four gospels written and John was probably an old man and who knows, perhaps uh, John wrote this uh, uh, and then came back and even appended it with another um, chapter. But um, what I'd like to read, is this all right? I'd like to read all of chapter 20. Okay. And we're not going to put it up on the board. You know, the original way that people heard the gospel was through the ear gate. Do you know that books, uh, you, know, they, they, uh, you know, they worked off of scrolls. They were massively expensive. They were reproduced by the human hand. And so most churches encountered the gospels by hearing the gospel read out loud. And so that's what I'd like to do today, if it's all right with you. Um, do I have your permission? John chapter 20. You got your Bible? Good. Early on the first day of the week, it was still dark, and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both of them were running But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen cloth lying there as well, the burial cloth that was around Jesus' head, the cloth that had been folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, the one who had reached the tomb first, also went inside he saw and he believed and they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead and then the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood outside the tomb crying just one note there isn't it just like men to go back home and to leave a woman crying somewhere right (laughs) you know it's like oh well we're going back home and there's poor Mary Well, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. They were seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet returned to the father, but go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And he said again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Jesus, now Thomas, who was called Didymus, which means twin, was one of the 12, but he was not there when, with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now, a week later, they were in the house again with Thomas, with them this time. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, believe, by believing you might have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your inspired record. Thank you that these words were breathed out through you into the life of John and have been preserved over the decades, the centuries, and the millennia for us. And Lord, we ask for the same spirit that breathed them out to be among us today and to give life to these words again. Lord, would you help me to preach as I ought? Would you help me to speak with power? And I pray on behalf of each person here that you would give us faith. Would you give us the gift of faith today, each one of us? Amen. Amen. Well, what a day Easter Sunday is. We don't go in for much ceremony here at the Vineyard. I did put on clean socks and clean underwear so I'd be dressed up. Um, Thank you. That comes under the category of too much information. We lit a few candles. We have some lilies up here. By the way, if you know anyone that uh, didn't go to church today or maybe they live alone, if you want to take. Uh, one of the Easter lilies and uh, visit them at their house and give them a flower on your way home. That would be just great. Please help yourself to them uh, and take them. Um, So uh, feel free to do that. I, I was struck first, no, it was actually last night. I was struck last night with the fact that all over the world, people are celebrating the central fact of history today that God himself came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He was unjustly accused. He was tortured. He was murdered. And death couldn't hold him in the grave. We celebrate the fact that he rose again. But do you know that we're the Johnny-come-latelys? We're the last group to do it, right? I went to bed last night at midnight, and because I'm addicted to my iPhone, I checked my email with my iPhone right before I went to bed. And I had an email with an Easter greeting from my friends in Kenya who were waking up for a sunrise service as I was going to bed last night. Do you know that all across the globe, thousands, no hundreds of thousands, no millions, no hundreds of millions of people have already worshipped Jesus and have proclaimed his resurrection? in every language and in every culture. that There have been people who have lifted up the name of Jesus already in Mandarin. They've lifted up uh, the name of Jesus in Russian and Swahili. They've lifted up the name of Jesus in French and in Italian. They've lifted up the name of Jesus because the day started a long time ago over through Asia and then through Europe and then through Africa and then finally we're the last ones. We're the last guys to the party to celebrate the fact that Jesus has risen. And the reason that I read the whole chapter was I'm so struck by the fact that this chapter contains just about every kind of personality you could imagine as they come to grips with the absolute impossibility. You see, the people who lived in Bible times were not stupid. They knew what, it, they knew what life was about. They knew what death was about. They knew that death was permanent and final. They were not easily fooled. In some ways, they were more acquainted with death than we are. We've got funeral parlors and EMTs and people die and they're whisked away. But back then, people cared for a body until it was time to put the body into the tomb. They washed the body off. These are people who knew what death was. And they were astounded by the events of Easter morning. They didn't wake up and say, oh, well, of course, he's rising from the dead today. Jesus was dead. He was stone cold dead dead he was room temperature, he was not responding to outside stimuli. And they knew that he was dead. And this first day is characterized with confusion and fear and weeping and running and rumors and, you know, all kinds of things. As even the people who wanted to believe had to come to terms with the impossible. And I think that's, that's us. I, you know, I've been a follower of Jesus going on 40 years. I want to believe, but I still need to come to terms with the impossible. The, the, the limits of my unbelief don't seem to know any bounds. Even when, even when I, I read the book and even when I say, yeah, I'm with that, I realize daily that I'm confronted by my unbelief. And maybe you are too. Maybe you have loved ones who are sick and are dying right now and we're confronted by the limits of our unbelief. Maybe you've lost loved ones, and you're tormented by that, and you're confronted by the limits of your unbelief. Maybe it is that, you know, you, the teachings of Jesus cause your heart to really burn, but all of the miraculous stuff from this resurrection to healing to uh, exorcisms, you know, you go, well, yeah, I guess I want to believe, but, you know, I don't know. That, those were the kind of people that encountered the risen Lord. On Easter Sunday. They had backed one person who they believed was the Savior of Israel, only to see him hung on a cross between two thieves and put hurriedly into a tomb before the the sun set on Friday, because at sunset on Friday the Sabbath began. And that's why Mary is going early on Sunday morning as the sun is rising. So let's see if we can find ourselves. Let's see if we can find ourselves in the Easter narrative. The first person that's mentioned is Mary Magdalene. And um, Mary Magdalene is a fascinating person. She's an absolute love-sick worshiper. Do you know the story where Jesus is having dinner and she breaks in? And she's got like this, this jar of expensive perfume or ointment or whatever it is. And she actually breaks the thing and the, the fragrance of her worship fills the whole room. In fact, you know, this old hagiography of, of Mary shows her holding the, the vial. That's the, to remind us that she's a worshiper. You can read that story in John 12. She broke every rule, a woman breaking into a man's meal so that she could lavish worship. You know, that, that vial was worth a year's wages. What do you make? in a year it was worth that and she lavished it in worship on him she was a passionate worshiper she was also faithful because she's the first one to the tomb the body has not been fully prepared for a proper jewish burial they hurried to get jesus in the tomb on friday before the sun went down because that's the beginning of the sabbath so the preparations, the, you know, all of the whatever you know, rudimentary type of embalming they would have done was going to have to wait until Sunday morning. And so we've got a picture here of a woman who is remarkably passionate in her worship. She's remarkably faithful. She's the first one there. And, and, you know, and one thing I've learned in 25 years of marriage is how hard women work behind the scenes and how little credit they get. And here's Mary before anybody else going to the tomb. She doesn't even have it worked out, which is also like a woman. She doesn't know how the stone's going to get rolled away. Sorry, it's true. Um, You know, she doesn't know how the stone's going to get rolled away. She just knows that she wants to finish the honor of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, when she gets there, she's in for quite a surprise. Now, It also says that she's there at the tomb, she encounters angels, she encounters the Lord Jesus himself, and you can imagine it's good news literally beyond belief. It's good news beyond belief. And there's an encounter that comes in this emotional, vulnerable, passionate moment, and that is he's gone. His body is gone. What am I going to do? I've still got to show Jesus honor. Even if he's dead, I want to honor him in his death. And so, you know, first angels appear to her, you know, which, you know, so many people have encountered angels without realizing it. Uh, And then uh, then Jesus himself, and she supposes that he's the gardener. Now, I want to get to that later, but remember that. She supposes he's the gardener. But here's what I want to get to about Mary, is in the text, She engages the gardener. She says, where have you taken him? Tell me, I'll take care of the body. And then Jesus speaks her name. Jesus looks right at her and says, Mary. And her eyes were opened. You see, that's not just narrative. That's inspiration from the Holy Spirit. The event actually happened. But the truth is, is that when Jesus speaks your name to you, There's a level of revelation and your eyes being opened that nothing else can do. You can know the scriptures. You can know the prophecies. You can have known Jesus in the past. But how many of us have been to a place in our private lives, maybe it was once, maybe only once, or maybe you've encountered it more than once where Jesus just speaks your name and it doesn't have to be much, two syllables, Mary, and all of a sudden she realizes it's him. Oh, how I want to hear Jesus speak my name. I want to hear him speak my name because I want to be known by the goodest, bestest person in all of creation. I want to be known by him. Today, on Easter Sunday, if you have one prayer that you could pray, it would be, Lord, let me hear you speak my name because it changed her forever. She's vulnerable, she's emotional, she's passionate. And again, in this very, very patriarchal world, in fact, we would probably call the world sexist here in the 21st century, Jesus says, go and tell my brothers, right? Do you realize that the first person who carried the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a woman? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, amen goes here in in a higher register, right? Mary is the apostle to the apostles, if you're into any kind of feminist Bible study, you know, a motif for that, this is really good news. You see, Jesus will use anyone to spread the good news. And in fact, he delights in using people that the society of the day doesn't regard as important. Jesus also met one woman by a well, told her everything she'd done. What did she do? She went back into town and then eventually everybody else from town came out to the well and there was a revival that went on in the town from a woman with a past, right? You see, you may think God can't use you to share the good news of the resurrection. You might think you're disqualified for any number of reasons. Wrong gender, too short, too, I don't know, too uh, whatever. Of the life I've lived, you know, I'm wicked, I'm, I'm on the outs. Do you know what? Jesus invites anybody to be the bearer of the best news in all of history. And here's Mary, a woman. She's the apostle to the apostles. Take that, men. Well, she goes and she runs and she tells John and Peter, and I want you to know how long I looked to try to find a painting or an artist's rendering of Peter and John running to the tomb. And this is the closest I got, is John's running with his hands folded. He looks very holy, you know? And, you know, and Peter's like covering his heart while he runs. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I'm a 50-year-old guy that plays softball, and I can run better than this. And for some reason in, you know, Christian art, everybody's got to always have like this holy pose. But here is the truth that comes to us from the scriptures, is that a young man, John, probably a teenager, and an older man, Peter, at least in his 40s, go running to the tomb. And they are two exemplars of other types of personality. If Mary's a passionate worshiper, if she's a vulnerable, emotional woman, here are two different men, very different men, running to the tomb. You've got John. And he's amazing because he's hesitant. First of all, he's younger and he runs faster. Don't you hate guys like that? Um, uh, He's hesitant. He gets to the tomb first, but he goes right to the edge of where the stone is rolled away and he stops and he looks in. There's something about his personality that he doesn't want to intrude. You know, if you're, you know, something of a wallflower, something a little bit more shy, you know, this is it. This is John as a young man. It is... The most amazing news he's ever heard. He runs. He's the first one there, but he stops, and he just looks in. But he's extremely observant. He sees the evidence of what is there. He, he's willing, though, to let other people lead the way, yet it does say that he saw and he believed. Now, that's really good news. You know, in the technical world, there's, like, first adopters, and then there's, you know, the people that come later, and then finally, the, you know, the, the last people to adopt technology. Right? You know, if you are the kind of person who is hesitant and you are very, very slow to process things, I've got good news. John was like that, and yet he saw and he believed. You see, you do not have to be a groundbreaker to be a believer. You just have to be sincere and you have to be at the right place to see the work of God. But you don't have to be a groundbreaker. Now, Peter, on the other hand, boom! He's slower, I really appreciate that. He really he gets to the tomb and he bursts right in, the proverbial, if you will, bull in the china shop. In goes Peter. He's like completely the opposite, and we've heard plenty of sermons about Peter. He's the guy that opens his mouth and says the wrong thing at the wrong time. He's the guy that pulls the sword and says he's going to fight off the, you know, the soldiers from the temple the night before when, or three nights before when Jesus was arrested. You know, he's the guy like that, but Peter, he goes right into the tomb, which was no small thing because it's the place of the dead. Hey, Glenn, let's go climbing in tombs tonight. I mean, you know, I'm not a superstitious guy, but that's still Oogie. But he goes right in. He's bold. He goes right into the place of the dead. He's aggressive, and Peter requires firsthand knowledge. And he's not going to wait for anybody to tell him what's what. He's going to go see it. So if John is hesitant and he's shy, there's a place for belief for people like that. But what about the people who say, you don't understand, I'm a type A personality. I'm the kind of person that goes, ready, fire, aim. You know, I'm that kind of person. Well, you know what? There's a place of belief for him there at the tomb as well. Peter is the guy that walks on the water, at least for a while. For him... Personal experience is everything. Are you like that? It's like, I don't want to hear about other people's experiences with God. I really need my own personal experience with God. And then the, the narrative says something so interesting about the both of them. I love the line. It says, they believed, but they still did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I love this line because their belief is sure at this point. The testimony of the inspired word of God is they believed and yet they didn't understand from the scriptures that the Messiah had to die. I'm here to tell you today that understanding is overrated. You see, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior as a 15-year-old, well, actually 14, it was before my birthday, a 14-year-old kid on the shores of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, at Williams Bay. My wife and I went and kind of walked around that park just a couple of years ago. And, and when I accepted Jesus, I had no clue what was going on. In fact, I have very few clues more now 40 years later. But do you understand, understanding is overrated. We can come to belief without having all of the answers. Because the truth is, is in their case as well, it's not that seeing is believing, it is that believing is a way of seeing. And so they didn't understand, even from their own sacred scriptures, that the Messiah had to die. And yet they believed. Mark it down. Understanding is overrated. God is not against logic. God is not against serious inquiry. Um, Both the scriptures and the current daily activity of God will stand up to any scrutiny, but understanding is overrated. And there's a whole category of people who are always learning, but are never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because it's not seen as believing, it's believing as seen. Well, John and Peter end up as believers. So what do they do? They go to the disciples. And what a crazy thing this is. Mary has seen the resurrected Jesus. John and Peter have not seen the resurrected Jesus, but they've seen enough to believe. And it's still Sunday, and they go to a room where they lock the doors because they're afraid of the people who killed Jesus. Now, they believe he's alive. Mary has seen that he's alive. And this is a whole other group of people. Do you understand we never live our lives alone? There's always a sociological impact to how we live our lives. You can tell me that you're a rebel and that you are into goth, but why is it that everybody you hang out with all look the same? Or, well, yeah, but the same thing's true with, you know, middle-aged people. You know, you can say, I'm the one who sticks it to the man, but, you know, why do we all have IRAs and, you know, that, you know, it doesn't matter. There's a sociological impact to who we are, whether we are, you know, middle-aged people or whether we think we are young rebels. There is a, there is a belonging that we have. You know, the greatest belonging is to feel like you're on the outside, like you don't belong. Welcome to the club. That's a group too, Right? <laughs> They just don't meet as often. (laughs) The disciples were together and the door was locked because of their fear. And oh my, you know, I'm actually trying to get like six Easter sermons in for one because I don't get to do this much anymore. But here's Jesus appearing behind locked doors to a group of people. It wasn't enough for Jesus to say Mary's name. It wasn't enough for there to be evidence of the resurrection. It wasn't enough for there to be evidence of the resurrection in, uh, in some instances. Jesus wanted to appear to a group of people, and he totally, totally rocked their world. Now, there's so much here, but I, I feel the need to, to move on ahead, so I'm going to do it. But do you understand, Jesus not only meets us as individuals, but he meets us in our social context whoever our greatest support is, uh, whoever it is that we look to for help, Jesus meets us in our social context. And make no mistake about it, when you turn to faith in Jesus, you are invited, oh, should I use a word? It's a baby boomer word. You are actually required to enter a new social context. I'll just say it out loud. Jesus, yes, and the church, no, is antithetical to the faith in Jesus Christ. People who say, Jesus and I are cool, but I don't want anything to do to the, with the church are missing the point that faith has both an individual component and a corporate or a sociological expression. If you've been wounded by the church, get in line. Not, nobody here has wounded me, but not because you guys are perfect, right? If you've been wounded by the church, get in line. I don't know how, I do not know how you can practice forgiveness, forbearance or long-suffering if you are alone? How how is it that we practice patience with one another if there is no one another? How is it that we practice forgiveness or long-suffering or forbearance if there's not a context in which we interact with other people? You know, I do premarital counseling. I tell people, look, two sinful people living together in a marriage are going to wound one another. Yeah, yeah. That's a knowing laugh wherever it came from. There's always a sociological context. But as is the case, somebody wasn't there that day. It was Thomas, the twin, doubting Thomas. Now, I think that he's gotten a bad rap over the centuries, okay, Everybody knows the story of Doubting Thomas. We just read the story of Doubting Thomas. Jesus shows up, peace be with you. Hey, I'm alive, isn't it cool? And Thomas says, unless I see the nail scars, unless I put my hand in his side. Now, by the way, how oogie is that? Unless I mean, he's actually, you know what he's saying? He's not saying like, he's saying, unless I put my hand into his side, I won't believe, right? Um, Thomas was actually a pretty courageous guy. He was characterized by loyalty to Jesus I'll go ahead and say it, he's Eeyore. He is totally on board with his friends. He will never leave his friends. Uh, In fact, in John's gospel, chapter 11, when Jesus says, I'm determined to go up to Jerusalem, do you know it's Thomas who says, in my best Eeyore voice, well, let's go to Jerusalem that we would die with him. That's Eeyore, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, I'll be here all week. You know, it was Thomas who said, look, this isn't going to end up well. Jesus is going to get killed. But back in John's Gospel, chapter 11, Thomas is the one who says, well, let's go. We're going to die, but we're with him. And he's courageous for another reason. He doesn't bow to sociological pressure, right? Right? Uh, I know this has never happened to any of you, but people say, oh my gosh, you know, God came in the room and it was amazing and you'll be a spiritual cripple the rest of your life if you missed that last meeting and you weren't there. And Thomas wasn't there, so what does he say? He says, it's not enough to hear your testimony. I've got to see it myself. I've got to see it myself. And I think that he's courageous because of that. He says, unless I see... I won't believe. There is something good and healthy that causes us to be driven to want to see the goodness of God expressed in forgiveness, in reconciliation, in harmonious relationships, yes, in the miraculous, and yes, even in the resurrection of the dead. My family is seated here with me on Easter, which is like a joy that any parent understands. We were in Peru when we encountered a little girl walking along with her mother and they told us that little girl was raised from the dead. And me, man of God, pastor that I am, deeply spiritual person, said to my translator, oh, she means that her little girl got really sick and then she got better. And the translator looks at me like, you want me to say that? And I go, yeah, go say that. And I could watch the mother becoming angrier and angrier as she understood that I didn't believe what she said. But the little girl was like, I don't know, five or six years old. And when she was two, she was dead. And can I go through the list again? Stone cold dead, room temperature not responding to outside stimuli in one of the poorest places in south america it was a it's like a sand dune city and the woman started to call the other women in the church to come and pray over the body and they prayed for hours and it took them three or four hours to find the pastor and then the pastor called for the men of the church and they prayed over the child for hours and the child was resurrected Amazingly, that was one of our earliest trips to Peru on my most recent trip, which was just thirteen months ago. I ran into another guy who was actually helping a blind uh, pastor that 's got a prosthesis I and mean, he 's amazing he Drug, drug wars. He had an eye cut out, honest, uh, and he's missing a leg. And, and I said, hey, I was at your church years, or I was, it was in your city years ago when I encountered a little girl that was raised from the dead. And he looks to the guy that had helped him navigate the buses and the taxis because he's blind. And he says, this is the little girl's uncle. And the uncle told me the story in rich and vivid detail. The child was resurrected. You see, it's all right to want to see the work of God in reconciliation, in harmony, in forgiveness, in healing, in exorcism, and yes, all the way to resurrection. Do you know why that there are not more people resurrected from the dead in North America? It's because we don't ask. Up, oh, race, kick the bucket. Call the funeral home. I mean, honestly. Now, you understand, believers have been dying for two millennia all right death is an enemy i want to say this as clearly as i know how the scripture says the last enemy to be defeated is death if you've lost a loved one if you've lost a friend you understand the loss that's going on okay death is not a natural part of life from creation until now death is an enemy And when we lose people, either in their 20s or in their 50s or in their 80s, I'm telling you, it is unnatural according to the design of God. That's part of what Resurrection Sunday is all about. And whether it was this little girl in Ventania, the north of uh, Lima, Peru, or whether it's maybe a loved one that you've lost. Is anybody here? Yes? Lost a loved one? Death is unnatural, and the pain and the sting is there. But it wouldn't hurt to ask. Would you do me a favor? If I kick the bucket, when I kick the bucket, would you just stand over the carcass, raise your eyes to heaven, and say, Lord, is this final? Okay. All right. At least a prayer. I mean, I'm, I'm dead. It doesn't matter if I get to the funeral home a little late. Why don't, why don't we see more resurrections? We don't ask. Or did you think it was only about Jesus? You see, we sang it, firstborn of the slain. Did you know that your worship was good theology? What What did Jesus do with death? He laid it in the grave. Was it Jesus, the God who laid it in the grave, according to the song, great song, John Mark McMillan? No, the man, Jesus Christ, laid death in his grave. Justin, you've got the power to lay death in the grave. We're all working on it. Okay. so there's Thomas. One more note about Thomas. Jesus shows up a week later. Um, he gets to put his hand in the, the nail uh, scars or his fingers on the nail scars. He gets to check it out. It, uh, he puts his hand up into the side of Jesus, right? And then what does it say? It says that Jesus, or Thomas says, my Lord and my God. There are limits to skepticism. God will meet a skeptic, but there is a time to move from skepticism to belief. Isn't that right? You understand skepticism was alive and well in the first century. In fact, there was a whole school of Greek philosophers who said, I am certain that man can know nothing for certain. And as my wife says, well, how did they know that? Right? You see, there comes a point when God works in your life so powerfully that the appropriate response, and I'll go this far, the response that is demanded is worship. And that's what Thomas did. He didn't bow to peer pressure, but when he met God, he knew enough to worship. I'm re- I, I think Thomas is really cool. But there's at least two more players in this chapter. There's Jesus. Of course. It's his day, right? Jesus. Jesus. Um, Let me just show you how medieval I am and I think that the whole church leadership is. We don't think that Jesus was in a swoon. Oh, he fainted on the cross. Let's let him lay down in a nice cool place for a while, okay? We don't don't think that, you know, he just, you know, got better and said, I think I'll get up now, okay? We don't think that his disciples stole the body, right? Can you imagine? Yeah, there's 11 guys who steal a body and fabricate a lie. And they say, it's so much fun, we're going to live the lie for the rest of our lives, and 10 out of the 11 are martyred for the lie that they manufacture. No. Okay? Jesus rose from the dead. Actually, to be totally accurate, was raised from the dead. But yeah, I think it's really instructive that we can look at what Jesus was like in his resurrected form. Okay? And here's why I want to work on this really hard are you willing to do a little more work with me please okay here's why i want to work on this hard jesus is the first fruits it says that in first corinthians you see what happened to jesus will happen to each one of us have you ever wondered what it'll be like on that day when jesus comes back and all believers are resurrected have you ever wondered what it'll be like I'm telling you that the record of the resurrection, John chapter 20 that we're looking at right now, has some evidence of what our lives can be like. And the first thing is is that every time he shows up, he always says, it's on the board, peace. Do you understand that whatever issues we have now, and I've got issues, right dear? Whatever questions we have now, and we have questions, right? Whatever confusion and whatever just doesn't seem fair, do you understand that in the resurrection, everything is all right? Jesus isn't just saying, calm down, calm down. I know you think you're seeing a ghost. He's actually saying what he said earlier in John's gospel, what I have, I give to you. Peace, not as the world gives, am I giving it to you? But I'm giving you peace. And in fact, in that longer passage, it says, in the world, things are going to be totally screwed up. He says, you'll have tribulation, but I give you peace. When Jesus, the resurrected Jesus meets people with the claim of peace, he's giving what he has and he's inviting us to participate in that now. How many of you would like all the noise in your head just to go away for even just a little while? hang out with the resurrected Jesus. Secondly, the gardener? Are you kidding me? Here's Mary. I mean, you know, how many tears do you have to have in your eye to mistake Jesus for the gardener? But it's not just Mary at the tomb. Luke's gospel has a story of two guys walking from Jerusalem down to a little town called Emmaus, and they walk all day with Jesus, who tells them all about the scriptural plan from the Old Testament. And they don't recognize Jesus until he breaks the bread. Poof, and then he's gone. The resurrected body of Jesus was somehow unrecognizable. And yet, in the case of Mary, when he spoke her name, or in the case of these two guys that are going to Emmaus, when he breaks the bread, there is also an epiphany, if you will, a moment in which he's totally the Jesus you remember. You don't know what your resurrection is going to be like? You want to know? It's going to be that you are somehow totally unrecognizable from your present form and yet more like yourself than you've ever been. Whatever is lacking in you, whatever has been marred by sin, whatever has been twisted and distorted in your psyche, all of those things are going to drop away and finally it'll be more like, oh, Kevin, is that you? And you go... Yes, it is. And he'll be more like Kevin than he is now. It's not just that Jesus was unrecognizable and then suddenly recognizable. We will be who we were truly meant to be. All of those people that feel like they've got a destiny, all of those people who feel like God's got their hand on me for some reason, I've got good news whether it's in this age or in the next. We will attain what God has for us. I also like this. I also like that he shows up for Thomas a week later. I think there's a place for doubt. I think there's a place for skepticism. I think there's a place for people who want firsthand evidence. But you understand, Jesus didn't come just because Thomas stamped his foot. The text says, a week later. And by the way, the other guys are still afraid. They're still locking the door a week later, right? A week later, he shows up. And does, does Jesus really chide Thomas? He just says, you wanted to know it? Check it out, check it out, check it out. But he comes in his own time. You know, if you really are searching for something, you won't stop until you find it. One of the clearest ways to figure out if somebody is truly sincere in their seeking is just to figure out how long will they search, right? What's the Chris Brown song? I've been waiting all my life for this night. That's about dancing on the dance floor, though. So, My son is now incredibly embarrassed that I just quoted Chris Brown, okay? Just a pathetic attempt of a 54-year-old to be hip, right? Okay? Jesus showed up a week later. He doesn't dance to our tune. He dances to his tune, but he's always faithful. And then this is the most amazing thing in this resurrection account for me. He showed them his scars, Something miraculous happened, duh, in the tomb. Jesus, right? He was resurrected. And yet, he showed them his scars. There's nail prints in the hand or probably the wrist. Uh, There's nail prints in the feet. There's a a spear wound, a big honking spear wound in his side. And he showed them his scars. Would you think about this, not only about Jesus, but about us, In the resurrection, we will carry some identifying marks of the life we've lived. And for Jesus, the identifying marks of the life he lived were the injustices that were perpetrated on him by hateful and cruel people. It's not just about Jesus. It's about us. The identifying marks that Jesus invited Thomas to investigate were the scars of his unjust crucifixion but now the scars have become the place of belief now the scars have become the proof of the pudding now the scars have become an identifying mark for both all of the art that shows the resurrected Jesus and even supernatural stigmata that happens from time to time throughout the centuries the scars become the point of belief Something about our life, about your life and about mine, something about our life in the resurrection, we're not going to leave everything behind. It's going to come with us as an identifying mark, but instead of being something that we rehearse over and over and over again, instead of being something that we still say hurts us every time we think about it, actually becomes a point of worship and belief in Jesus. Think about that. What kind of injustice have you suffered? What kind of misunderstanding? Maybe there have been people who have even suffered physical abuse for their faith in Jesus. If we were were in China or Africa or even parts of Europe, there would be people in the room that could show you the scars, right? Jesus carried the scars of his first life into his second, but they became a point of worship. I want you to take heart. Can I be really pastoral? and just like an old guy for a minute. I want you to take heart. Whatever you are suffering or whatever you have suffered through, Jesus is going to turn it into a point of belief and faith and worship for you. That's good news today. And if you don't believe it, please just take it from me. It can be worship. It can be belief. So there's Jesus as quickly as, as we can do that but there's one more person mentioned. One more person mentioned in this narrative. And I was so surprised to find this in the text. Do you know the last person mentioned in the narrative in John chapter 20? It's you. Amazingly, at the end of John chapter 20, John takes the narrative away from the present tense in which Jesus is appearing to people He takes the narrative away, and he says, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. talking to you. It's it's a plural. I'm talking to y'all. And he says, these things were written so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Now, the most traditional interpretation of this verse is, you get to go to heaven when you die. But if you've hung out at the vineyard for any length of time at all, you know that we embrace the idea that you get to go to heaven when you die. But when John is talking about having life in Jesus' name, he's not saying you have to wait to kick the bucket. He's saying that the the resurrection life of Jesus is available for us now. You can mark it down, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he'll give life to your mortal bodies. It's a verse about healing. It's a verse about inner healing. It's a verse about reconciliation. It's a verse about forgiveness. It's a verse about the fact that the way that life is in the eschaton, in the end of the age, in the next world, we can be partakers of that life now. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so skillfully, after showing us Mary Magdalene and Peter and John and Thomas and Jesus, he just kind of turns and he says, I'm also talking to you. Did you know that the scripture is talking to you today? I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, like the perfect invitation for an altar call. And why not? There's nothing wrong with an altar call. Come to the altar and, you know, offer yourself as a living sacrifice also out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He's saying these things have been written so that you could believe and that by believing you'd have life in his name. Understand the order you can believe and by believing you have life in his name because it's a way of life, trusting in Jesus, trusting that the resurrection is not just sweet pie in the sky for the by and by, but that the resurrection power of Jesus is available for you today. Yeah? It's an invitation. Maybe somebody dragged you here today. Maybe you've, you know, maybe you have the kind of person who said, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, and burned the t-shirt. I don't want anything to do with church or Jesus or religion. Maybe, you know, you know you're just here for any number of reasons. Jesus is offering a chance for you to begin the path of belief and to begin to experience the resurrection life that causes us to experience peace, peace. So we should take that invitation. In fact, you might think, well, I, you know, I'm already a believer, but life just sucks. Let's, let's do the altar call this way. Who needs more supernatural peace in your life? Okay, that invitation extends to us today as well. You might know where you're going if you croak. I'm dangerously close to it. I'm glad I know where I'm going. But who couldn't do with more peace in your life? But an altar call is just a little too strange for the vineyard, isn't it? So let's do this. Would you stand with me? I want to pray over you. And I want to give you a chance because the truth is is that whatever transaction goes on, Needs to be between you and Jesus. Needs to be just the two of you. I promise you he'll be faithful to put, into, put you into a community of believers if you'll let him. But let's just take a moment and ask the resurrected Jesus to visit us. That be all right? You've made it this far. Do, do you think you could handle, you know, a minute or two in the presence of God? Do you understand? He's got all the time in the world. He'll give you a minute or two. Let's pray. Wow, Jesus, you really did it. You really did put death in the grave. You took the sting out of death, you took the victory away from the grave. And Lord, whether we are confused or crying, whether we just don't know what's going on or whether we're in the process of belief, but we just don't have all the peace that you want for us, we present ourselves to you now. And go ahead and just do that. Just present yourself to him. Tell him that you're here. Whatever misunderstandings you have, you can offer them to him. Whatever demands you have, you can offer them to him. He's not intimidated by your questions. And whatever need you have for supernatural intervention, the same God who created the cosmos and who also rose from the dead can pay your debt, heal your body, restore your marriage, put your life back where it needs to be. In fact, he delights to do it. Jesus, would you receive us at our point of need? Lord, would you give us a vision for what resurrection life looks like today and tomorrow and next week? Jesus, would you give us what we need to be authentic followers of you? Would you forgive us for those times when we've been something less than authentic? The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead would you dwell in us? Lord, we love you. Receive our praise, our worship, and our study of your word. <coughs> in your name, amen. Now you all may God himself bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine on you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Mass has ended. Go in peace. God be with you.